the title of my message tonight is Storms and Saviors. Um, and I want to take a little bit of time to talk about, uh, really to continue down this road of talking about covenant where my dad has been. Uh, because the more that you really begin to, you know, uh, live in that space and begin to try to understand and grasp what that looks like, it's like God takes you down this amazing rabbit hole and you begin to see things that you've never seen and, you know, unpack things that you didn't even realize were possible. And, you know, well, dad, my dad has been talking to us about really the concept and the understanding of covenant. Um, I feel like my assignment, you know, at least for the next little while that we're, you, that I get to preach is to really try to begin to, uh, uh, to, to expose for us the nature of the man that we're marrying. Um, because it's one of the things that is very natural and we can have a very natural understanding that in order for me to marry my wife, um, I, I really got to know her. And the reason that I've been able to trust her with my life and, and with my children and with my future and with my dreams isn't because I flipped a coin and I landed on heads and so therefore I married her. Um, I married her and I trust her because I know her inside and out. You know, we make jokes all the time. You know, she, she'll tell stories. It's one of the things that she does. She retells stories. And she'd be like, did I ever tell you this story? And I'm like, yeah, you've told me that story like 50 times. <laughs> Because I've got to the place now in the last eight years that we've been together that I really know a lot of, and if not, obviously I don't know all of, but a great majority of her I know. And the reason that I'm able to trust her and step out into situations with her is because there is this mutual understanding, there's this trust that we have because we know each other. And I think that sometimes in Christianity, it can be very difficult to step into this space of covenant because either we don't know the man that we're getting into covenant with, or what we do know about the man that we're getting into covenant with, we don't like. <laughs> Could I be honest that there are, I, I think that for me, it took me so long to really fully embrace this life because I was told a lot of things about Jesus that, I, that, that weren't true, uh, but that I really didn't like. And I feel like the New Testament, the, 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 the benefit of the New Testament is that I get to be in an actual relationship with Jesus, that I don't have to base my life on what someone else tells me about who he is. I don't have to listen to teachings, although that's great. I don't have to take anybody else's word for it. I can have a personal relationship with Jesus and begin to go down the road of discovering and unpacking who this man is that I'm married to. And so this evening, I want to talk to us. Um, I want to actually, we'll start with reading the scripture I, I want to read from uh, Matthew chapter 14, and it, it's the story. We're all very familiar with it. Uh, it's the story of where, uh, you know, Jesus just finishes feeding the 5,000, and they, they all get on the boat, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to their next stop. But Jesus, it says, he stayed back to pray. And so he doesn't get on the boat. All the disciples, they get to go across. And I'm sure they're expecting that Jesus is just going to catch the next boat. Okay? But Jesus is full of surprises. Your husband is full of surprises. Okay? And this is what it says. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples and get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. 
After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was all already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. It's really strange. I got to like go on a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. And it's weird when they talk about like the squalls and they're like all gonna sink. And it's like really a very small body of water. It's actually very strange. Verse 25 says this, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, which is strange. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and they thought that it was a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus simply replied, come. Then Jesus got down out of the boat, walked on, then, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus then reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Heavenly Father, this evening, as we spend just a moment in your word, Lord, I'm asking that you would open up our eyes, illuminate us to be able to see you. We want to see you and we want to know you. Lord, that's our desire this evening, God, that it wouldn't be just a bunch of words spoken. It wouldn't be just songs sung. But Lord, our desire is that we would come into a deeper place of intimacy, a deeper place of understanding of who you are and what being in a relationship with you looks like. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I can remember um, a few years ago, it was probably when I was in my mid-20s, we used to do these trips to Navy Island, okay? It's a little island, if you don't know it, it's a little island, kind of out, a little bit outside of Chippewa, uh, which is kind of just upstream from the Niagara Falls. And we used to go on these trips in order to get there. And the only thing about getting to Navy Island is there's no bridge there, so you have to take a boat, and so we have a boat and it was great and we had these trips and we would kind of like shuttle people across to get the boat and whatnot. And uh, this particular year, in my mid-20s, I was the captain of the ship and I got to be the one who was shuttling people back and forth from the island and things were going great, really great, until they weren't going great, right? <laughs> Isn't that the way all stories go? Everything was perfect and then it wasn't perfect. And I can remember going across and we were, I think I was just sitting in the middle of the water, catching some rays, probably sitting on the boat. And when I went to go turn the boat back on, it wouldn't start. How many of you know that's a really, it's a, if you've ever been in that position, it's a very vulnerable, it's a bad feeling. And I figured, you know, sometimes it can happen to boats because there's, it's in water and it's an engine and all that. I figured just probably just that the engine is flooded. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to try to get in five minutes. So I get out our anchor and I throw the anchor down. The only problem is, is the only thing that we have on the boat is a sand anchor. And if you didn't know, Niagara Falls is pretty big and pretty strong. And my sand anchor wasn't enough to hold the boat in place. And so as I'm waiting for to be able to, you know, start the engine, the current is so strong that it's literally dragging me closer and closer to the falls. <laughs> now this goes on for a little bit, and I'm figuring, you know, five minutes and the boat is surely going to kick over. Five minutes goes by, 10 minutes goes by, 15 minutes goes by, and there's a guy in the boat with me, and he kind of looks at me concerned saying, I, I think it's time that we figure out what we're gonna do. And so we did. 
We called the Coast Guard, and we got through, and they asked me, like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm by the Niagara Falls. And they're like, where exactly are you? I'm like, I'm by the Niagara Falls, okay? And so I'm, like, flipping out at this point because, like, we're moving. Like, we're hustling towards the falls. And I call the Coast Guard, and I feel like, like, it's good. We're good. Five minutes goes by. Ten minutes goes by. 15 minutes goes by, and I start panicking. I'm thinking, this is it. (laughs) Like, it's been good, but I'm, like, strapping on my life jacket, getting ready to, like, brave it, because I'm now going to swim back to shore. You know, sorry, Dad, about the boat, (laughs) but I'm not giving my life for your boat. So I'm strapped up and I'm getting ready and my friend is like really leery and really nervous about it and thinks that it's a bad idea. But I'm like, listen, man, like we're going to die one way or another. At least this way I'm going to give it my best shot. Finally, though, thank God, the Coast Guard comes and we see them and they catch us and they're like trying to figure out where we are. We're like, we're by the falls. They're like, where are you? We can't find you. I'm like, we're by the falls, please. And so finally they come and get me and, you know, and, and everything is. And I, I told them, because at this point I'm in my mid-20s and I'm real tough, and I'm talking to the Coast Guard, and I'm like, yeah, you know what, like, I was just going to hop out and swim. And they were like, yeah, good thing you didn't because you surely would have died. There's no possible way with this curve that you could have made it back. Now it's funny, and maybe you've never been in a situation like that, a life and death situation where you're going to go over the falls But one of the things that I do know is that we all face situations in our life where it's easier to see our problem than it is to see our promise. Every single one of us have moments in our life where storms arise and they seem like the only option that we have is to sink. Every single one of us has gone through situations where we experience pressure and problems and situations, and it seems like we continue to fall backwards, and it so inhibits our ability to follow after the promises that God, you know, we have this beyond your wildest dream banner, but it seems sometimes that we're buffeted so intensely through our lives that this is just a picture in a world full of problems. And this really is what Peter's story is all about. You know, I think about Peter's story in the sense that when we meet him, like I said, he's on the Sea of Galilee. It's a very familiar place to them in the sense that this is where they would have spent their whole life. When you see how close Peter's house was, excuse me, to the Sea of Galilee, it's like you could literally throw a stone. So he's very familiar with this place. Uh, but how many of you know sometimes we could feel familiar in areas, we could feel comfortable in areas, but it's not difficult for a situ- situation to arise to pull us out of that comfortable place. And so we realize at this point the disciples, they're like flipping out. You know, they're on the boat and there's basically a ghost. Uh, that would flip me out, right? I mean, even today with all of our modern technology, it wouldn't be crazy. Like someone could have like some sort of like hoverboard or a jet ski. But even still, it's the middle of the night. You can't really see. And you're like, is this a ghost? It's probably a ghost. It's got to be a ghost. And the, the panic begins. Now, the thing that's funny to me about this story is, is they're familiar with Jesus. At this point, like you'd think that they would know that Jesus is kind of just a wild card. I mean, he really doesn't obey any rules of what you'd think a human being would, right? Like right before this, Jesus just fed the 5,000. 
okay? So the story is a little boy comes up with a couple of pieces of fish and a couple of pieces of bread, and it's basically enough for a small boy to eat a kind of a decent lunch, and Jesus turns around and feeds 5,000 plus women and children, okay? And it wasn't like the disciples, it doesn't say that they went crazy, no, they like, they're expecting Jesus is going to do something. And so it's always surprising to me that they understand it. They understand the nature of God, but it seems as though that whenever something arises in their life, it's like they forget how good Jesus is. And so we see this story in Peter. We have this great exchange, and we talk about this all the time. You could preach this, this story from a thousand different angles. You know, Peter sees Jesus walking in. Jesus says, you know, don't be afraid. It's me. And Peter says, if it's you, then tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat. And this is the wild part is that Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. And like I said, you could preach a thousand messages from this point, getting out of the boat and getting out of your comfort zone and walking on the water with Jesus. But what I want to focus on tonight is this moment, this interaction that Peter has where he begins to sink. Because how many of you know, uh, other than Jesus, at, at least as far as I'm aware, Peter is the only person to ever walk on the water. And so he, he walks on the water sheerly by like the faith that he has in his heart. He believes so much in Jesus at this point that his belief literally overcomes the physical laws of this world. That is an amazing feat. But for some reason, whenever we talk about this story, we always focus on the fact that Peter sinks. Don't we? It's kind of always one of those, uh, you know, silly little Peter. You know, oh, silly guy, always kind of messing things up. When you really think about the story, I mean, I don't believe Jesus enough to walk on the water at this point. Like, maybe I will sometime in the future, but surely he's a better person than I am. And I always thought about this story from the angle of that, you know, Peter begins to walk on the water, and the, the scripture says that, he gets distracted by the wind and the waves. He gets distracted by the problems. He gets distracted by the impossibility of what he's experiencing. He says that he takes his eyes off of Jesus and focuses on what's happening around him, and he begins to sink. But this is where I want to focus. It says that he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus' response is, oh, you have little faith, you know, why didn't you believe? And for so long when I heard this story, I always thought that the reason that Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, is because Peter started to sink. I was telling the interns this morning, we were talking about relationship with God, and I was saying how the Lord actually spoke to me about the story in just this brief moment as I was taking my trash out one Friday morning. It's like a 30-second walk from my trash bin to the road and back. And the Lord is talking about this story. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm just meditating on it. And he gave me this perspective. What if Jesus wasn't talking about the sinking at all? Because we talked about that a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, when I first came, maybe three or four weeks ago, 
about that Jesus really isn't affected. He's not really focused on the external things of our life, right? We know the Bible tells us that we're to produce fruit, but the fruit that we're told to produce isn't the fruit that we think. The Bible says that we're to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which are internal fruits, love, joy, peace, which because those are internal fruits, they're going to produce external things. But Jesus is really focused on the inside, not the outside. And so when I think about this story from that angle, I began to think maybe Jesus wasn't talking about sinking. Maybe what I've thought, and and there is a truth to that, and so by no means am I saying that's not the truth. I'm just offering a different perspective. I began to think about the fact that maybe, oh, you have little faith, wasn't because he began to sink. Because, I mean, the guy's got pretty good faith, like, That would be like Lola taking her first step and falling and me chastising Lola for falling. That's not the response that a father would have. That I would ignore the success because of the failure. No loving person would do that. No, we celebrate. So I began to think about this. You know, if you're this loving person, maybe that wasn't. So as I began to think about it, I looked at what was Peter's response right before Jesus responded to him. Because if it was when he just began to sink, Jesus would have seen him begin to sink and he would have said, oh, you have little faith. So maybe Jesus' response to Peter wasn't that he was sinking, but that Peter thought Jesus would let him sink. Isn't that the thing that the scripture says is that Peter begins to sink and cries aloud. As if he has this moment of fear, as if Jesus wouldn't be right there to grab him. It's like I think about it as Jesus, you know, Peter cries out in this moment as he's beginning to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And it's almost like I want to have like a snapshot into Jesus' mind where he's probably just like, yo, Pete, like... Remember like 15 minutes ago when I just fed all those guys with those couple of things? Like, I didn't have to do that, but I care about them so much that I did it. And now that you're finding yourself in this situation, you think that my response is going to be different. And I think that sometimes we can find ourselves in this situation like Peter. I think that so much like Peter... We can find ourselves in situations, and because we don't honestly, I'll say it like this, we aren't convinced of the nature of God, we respond in fear because we don't really know what Jesus is going to do. I think about this story, and I think about this moment And it's actually, if you read through a lot of the times that Jesus chastises the disciples, you can see a lot that Jesus isn't really chastising the disciples for what they do. He's chastising the disciples because of their perspective of who he is. That Jesus is so concerned with Peter, not because he's sinking, But because Jesus knows that he's only got so much time left with Peter, and Peter still thinks that Jesus is just out for himself. 
that somehow Jesus isn't going to respond in his time of need, that somehow Jesus is going to miss him or ignore him or is going to look past him or look beyond him. And Peter in this moment shouts, and Jesus responds to Peter, Peter, like, do you really think I would let you sink? And I think about this in terms of our own life where we've seen God move. I mean, like, I love the I believe in miracles testimonies because how many of you know the Bible says that New Testament prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. It's, somebody, it's God doing something in someone else's life. And I can take that as a prophetic word for my life because if God would do it for them, he would do it for me. So I love the I believe in miracles, sometimes things that I don't even deal with, but I'm saying, Lord, if you could reach down that deep and grab that guy out of that pit, surely you can fix my problems. But I think that sometimes what can happen is we've seen the I believe in miracles and we've had the testimonies. And I don't know about you, but if, when I look backwards at my life, I'm only 33 years old, but I could give you countless times that God has for no reason, for nothing that I did to deserve it. He reached down and grabbed me. But for some reason, I can have all that behind me. But when I'm faced with a new challenge or a new situation, I can respond like Peter, Lord, save me. And that's why I, I admire David in the Bible so much. Because that was not David's response ever. I mean, when he goes, runs out to Goliath, you know, he's not like shuddering in fear. Like he's like sprinting into the battlefield. And I did a study on David years ago because I was interested in that because I, I, I want to know how do I, because my dad taught us last night at our advanced meeting, you know, that the, that the success in life is learning how to succeed in the middle of struggle. Because life is not going to be without difficulty, but great people understand how to make lemonade out of lemons. Okay? And so I looked at David in this regard because I'm like, I want to know. If, if you have the courage as like, whatever, like an 18 to 25 year old, if you have the courage to run into battle in an in, in absolutely naturally impossible situation, if you have enough courage in God, who at this point, he didn't even really know because he's in the Old Testament and didn't have the same access to heaven as we had. So if he's able to get to know Jesus just from maybe reading a couple of books in the Old Testament, I, I feel like maybe I'm missing something. When I get nervous that maybe I can't pay my Kojiko bill. Kojiko is cable for you Americans. But I love what it says about David, is it said that he had this staff. And what he would do is he would put notches in his staff. And what the notches were is every time God did something miraculous in his life, he put a notch in his staff. It's like when He's having, David is having this discourse with Saul and Saul is trying to discourage David from stepping out because Saul was seeing with natural eyes where David was seeing with spiritual eyes. 
I'll tell you, people with natural eyes will always try to tell you that your spiritual dream is impossible. So David is having this discourse with Saul and his response to Saul is he looks backwards. He says that he remembered the lion and the bear. So essentially what David was doing that's different from what Peter did is that David looked backwards and saw all the times that God was faithful while Peter was focused in the moment being afraid that maybe God won't be faithful at this moment. I want to know, I want to be like David. Because isn't this what David writes? When you read through the book of Psalms, which is really David writing out of his like revelation, his pain, his anguish, you get to go walk on this journey. And David understood when he wrote in Psalms 23, he says that you lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. If this was me, or I wish that it would have said, he leads me around the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah. He supernaturally, you know, transports me over like Superman. I'm just going to fly over all my problems. But that's not what David says. Why? Because you see, he knew something. It was like the valley of the shadow of death meant nothing to him. It was like Goliath meant nothing. He was just another obstacle in the way to his greatness. You see, we see such a contrast between David and Peter. And I realized that it wasn't because Peter didn't love Jesus. Right? We know that Peter loved Jesus. We knew that Peter gave up his whole life in order to follow Jesus. But what I've seen is that Peter didn't get to know the nature of the man that he was serving. And so as I began to look through the story as Peter is walking through the water, I wanted to know the secret because there is a secret in the story. And the moment that Peter began to sink, it says that he got distracted and began to look at the wind and look at the waves. That he took his focus off of Jesus and put it onto his problems. He saw the storm instead of seeing the Savior. He saw the issue rather than seeing the solution. And when I think about this and I think about where we are and where we're going this year, and when I think about all the things that God is asking us to do, because I tell you something, on our road to our wildest dreams, there's going to be some things that we're going to end up walking through. I tell you, like, I, I, I don't know about you, but just because I followed God, it hasn't made it so my life was void of issues or problems. And so essentially, the only thing in my life that has the power or the ability in order to stop me is that I get afraid that God is going to leave me here in this place before I get to my promise. 
And this is what the enemy tries to come and do all the time. This is what our brain tries to get us to believe all the time, that when things are going good, it must mean that everything is good and God loves you and he's for you. And you're going to ride this roller coaster all the way to Blessing Town. And then you hit like the little speed wobble. And you're like, oh God, like Peter, where are you? Save me, God, please. And God's like, yo, didn't you just have the meal? Like the epic meal that we just ate together. Didn't you just three seconds ago walk on the water? And so what our fight, our struggle, because this is the thing is that we're not struggling against situations in our world. We know the, the word says that we've been given the name that's above every name. My struggle is not that I'm trying to beat poverty or I'm trying to beat this sickness. That's not what my struggle is against. It's not like they're equal powers trying to fight against each other. My struggle is that when everything in my life is trying to tell me that God isn't good, I fight to believe that he is. Because what caused Peter to sink wasn't that he wasn't a great guy. It wasn't that he didn't have the faith to walk on the water. It wasn't his generational sins or his past curses or the time last week that he was really rude to Andrew. No, was that in the moment when he had a decision to make? He chose fear instead of faith. Because I tell you something, I, I know that problems in our life look big. I get that. And I think that sometimes when people talk about faith, it can be frustrating because it's like, you know, you talk for 25 minutes and somehow you think that's supposed to pump me up that my whole life is falling apart. And I get that. I understand that there's some things that happen in your life that weren't expected. Sometimes we get, you know, like sucker punch in the face or we fall into some pit somewhere that we didn't realize existed. But I tell you something, those situations are a setup for our great comeback. These moments where I can do nothing but trust God. These moments where there's nothing else that can make this make sense, except I sit here and I choose to trust. Because it's not that it's magic. It's what my dad has been talking to us about. It's this place where I've decided that this is the way that I'm going. It's a little strange for me, but like, I've decided that he's my man. This is the guy I want to marry. And that when push comes to shove, just like I have to do with Danielle, just like you do with your spouses or your children. I face moments in my relationship where I have to choose. Am I gonna trust how this looks or am I gonna trust her? 
Because I tell you, you could trace back any problem in a, uh, any relationship to a moment, a fork in the road. And I want to pray through a prayer right now really quickly where, and here's the deal, like we can't feel shame about this because we've all experienced this. But if we're really going to step into a place where like what my dad has been teaching, that this is beyond dating. It's beyond, I like the way he makes me feel. It's beyond, he, he, you know, he's promising me a really great life. No, this is like, I want to get in the trenches with him. It's strange when you use him. I can't wait to get in bed with him. How many of you know we got to deal with anything in our heart that would keep us from that? And so I'm going to do it. I'm just going to ask you if you would with me. We'll be, we're done now. If you just bow your head and close our eyes. I want to take a second, and I'm just going to pray us through something really quickly. Because we've all had traumas. We've all had moments, experiences in our life where we have unanswered things where we cried out to God and it seemed like he didn't answer us. We felt like he let us down. We felt like he didn't show up. Things that try to come in and degrade our relationship, our ability to trust our husband. So I just wanted to say this really simply, just say, Holy Spirit, take me to a memory where I felt Jesus let me down. This might be something that happened to you yesterday, last week, 10 years ago. <coughs> when you're in that memory, just say this, just say, Jesus... I ask you to come into this experience. Stand between me and this negative experience. So you're going to see him there. Jesus always comes. You might see him, you might feel him. And the memory might be painful, and that's okay. Now that he's there, just ask him this. Just say, Jesus, how did this experience impact me? So he's going to show you. It got in to break your trust. Sowed seeds of discord or anger or frustration. Maybe you started feeling hopeless. Stole your ability to dream. Now I want you to see that you're taking the negative from that experience and just like wrap it up into a ball in your mind's eye. Just that you're taking all the negative, everything that happened 
the person that betrayed you, the situation, the problem, that you're just wrapping that up in a ball and you're handing it to Jesus. And then when you give it to him, I want you to ask him, what does he want to give you in return? Maybe he's going to show you a piece of his nature. He's going to give you the ability to forgive, to dream. <coughs> now that you have that thing, I just want you to pray this. Just say, Jesus, I choose as an act of my will to give you these negative emotions and any unforgiveness or vows I've made from this experience. Say, I forgive anyone who was involved and I repent for holding unforgiveness. And from you, I receive and just say what he gave you. Say, I choose as an act of my will to receive the freedom that you're giving me today. In Jesus' name. I'm just going to pray this over you now. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would heal everything that was broken, crushed, or damaged in any way during this negative experience. Right now, Heavenly Father, I command that any negative forces go to that place that Jesus has prepared for you and never return in Jesus' name. Lord, each one of us stands in an act of our will to close any doors that were opened during this trauma doors to the demonic, to lack, poverty, anger, suicide, depression, anxiety, fear. We pray that all the consequences of this trauma be healed. Jesus, I'm asking that you would come and heal the memory and remove any pain. Father, I command that the traumatic images and memories dry up and die. Lord, we sever any neuropathways that lead to memories. We sever the five senses which trigger or are connected to these memories. And we command that the memory of this experience be healed in Jesus' name. And Father, right now we stand in a place of faith and thank you for this healing now in Jesus' name. And we declare, Father, from this moment forward that we are completely free and will live out of this freedom and the blessing it creates for the rest of our lives. From this moment forward, we will live as if the pain the mistrust, the fear, the anxiety of this experience never existed. And we'll see our life, past, present, and future through the eyes of the love of our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, 
I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.